Section twenty six of Cleek of Scotland Yard by Thomas W. Hanshew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty three. It was a full half hour later, and Sir Mawson and Lady Leake and Mr. Maverick Narkom were in the throes of the most maddening suspense when the door of the music room flashed open and flashed shut again, and Cleek stood before them once more, quite alone still but with that curious crooked smile which to narkom stood for so much looping up the corner of his mouth and mutely foreshadowing the riddle's spectacular end cleek dear chap the superintendent's voice was sharp and thin with excitement you found out something then i hope mr narkom i have found out everything he replied with a marked emphasis on the word hope but as we are told when in doubt or in difficulty to look above for a way out permit me to follow that advice before proceeding any further with the subject here he stepped to the centre of the room twitched back his head and with chin up slanted and eyes directed toward the ceiling moved slowly round in a narrow circle for a moment or two but of a sudden he came to a sharp standstill rapped out a short queer little laugh and altering these mysterious tactics looked down and across the room at sir mawson leake i think the rani did not look to the security of those slim gold links a day too soon sir mawson he said it is too much to ask a man to risk his whole fortune on the tenacity of a bit of age-worn wire as you have done and if I were in your shoes, I'd tell the old girl's major-domo when he comes for the necklace to get it repaired somewhere else, and be dashed to him. Good! Wouldn't I in a twinkling if I could only lay hands on the wretched thing again? But I haven't it, as you know. Quite true. But you're going to have it, presently. I know where it is. Mr. Cleek! Gently, gently, my friends. Don't go quite off your heads with excitement. I repeat, I know where it is. I have found it, and— Mr. Narkom, look sharp. A chair for Lady Leake. She's tottering. Steady, steady, your ladyship. It will only complicate matters to lose a grip on yourself now, and you have kept up so brave a front all through it would be a pity to break down at the end. I am not breaking down. I am quite all right. Please go on, Mr. Cleek. Please do. I can stand anything better than this. Are you sure you have found it? Are you sure? Absolutely. I have had a nice little talk with old Jennifer and a very satisfactory visit to Master Bevis Leake's interesting pirate's cave. And gently, gently, Sir Mawson, gently, all of you, don't jump to conclusions too quickly. No, your ladyship, I did not find the necklace in that cave and for the simple reason that it is not and never has been there. In short, neither your son Bevis nor the servant Jennifer has the least idea in the world where it is. I have, however, and if in return for handing it over to him, Sir Mawson will give me his promise to take that boy Henry back and give him another chance, he shall have it in his hands ten seconds afterward. I promise, I promise, I promise, 
broke in sir mawson almost shouting in his excitement i give you my word mr cleek i give you my solemn oath right you are said cleek in reply then he twitched forward a chair stepped on the seat of it reached up into the midst of the chandelier's glittering cut-glass lustres snapped something out from their sparkling festoons and added serenely favour for favour there you are then as he dropped the ladder of light into sir mawson's hands and all in a moment what with lady leake laughing and crying at one and the same time her liege lord acting pretty much as if he had suddenly gone off his head and mr maverick narkom chiming in and asserting several times over that he'd be jiggered there was the dickens and all to pay in the way of excitement up in the chandelier exclaimed lady leake when matters had settled down a bit up there where it might have remained unnoticed for months so like is it to the strings of lustres but how but when oh mr cleek who in the world put it there and why jennifer he made answer no not for any evil purpose your ladyship he doesn't know even yet that it was there or that he ever in all his life held a thing so valuable in his hands all that he does know in connection with it is that while he was cleaning those lustres out there in the hallway yesterday afternoon between four and five o'clock your son bevis out on one of his treasure raids paid him a visit and that long after when the old fellow came to replace the lustres on the chandelier he discovered that one string was missing i knowed the precious little rascal had took it sir of course was the way he put it in explaining the matter to me and i felt sure i'd be certain to find it in his pirate's cave but lord bless you it turned out as he hadn't took it there at all as i found out a goodish bit afterward when her ladyship comes down to the landing at the top of the first flight of stairs calls me up to give me the lint for miss eastman and then gives a jump and a cry like she'd just recollected something and runs back upstairs as fast as she could fly for when i looks down there was the missing string of lustres lying on the landing right where her ladyship had been standing and where he little rascal had went and hid it from me so i picks it up and puts it back in its place on the chandelier just as soon as i'd taken the lint to miss eastman like her ladyship told me in that lady leake lies the whole story of how it came to be where you saw me find it jennifer is still under the impression that what he picked up on that landing was nothing more than the string of twelve cut glass lustres joined together by links of brass wire which is at this moment hanging among the treasures in your little son's pirate's cave on the landing lying on the landing do you say mr cleek exclaimed her ladyship but heavens above how could the necklace ever have got there nobody could by any possibility have entered the boudoir after i left it to run down to the landing with the lint you saw for yourself how utterly impossible such a thing as that would be to be sure he admitted it was the absolute certainty that nobody in the world could have that actually forced the key to the solution upon me 
since it was possible for only one solitary person to have entered and left that room since Sir Mawson placed the necklace in your charge. Clearly, then, that person was the one who carried it out. Therefore there was but one conclusion, namely that when your ladyship left that room the ladder of light left it with you, on your person. And gently, gently, Lady Leake, don't get excited, I beg. I shall be able in a moment to convince you that my reasoning upon that point was quite sound, and to back it up with actual proof. If you will examine the necklace, Sir Mawson, you will see that it has not come through this adventure uninjured, in short that one of the two sections of its clasp is missing, and the link that once secured that section to the string of diamonds has parted in the middle. Perhaps a good deal which may have seemed to you sheer madness up to this point will be clearly explained when I tell you that when I lifted Lady Leake's negligee from that chair a while ago, I found this thing clinging to the lace of the right sleeve. Good heavens above! Look, Ada, look! The missing section of the clasp! Exactly, concurred Cleek. And when you think of where I found it, I fancy it will not be very difficult to reason out how the necklace came to be where Jennifer picked it up. On your own evidence, Lady Leake, you hastily laid it down on your dressing-table, when the sight of the lint bandage recalled to your mind your promise to Miss Eastman, and from that moment it was never seen again. The natural inference, then, is so clear, I think there can hardly be a doubt that when you reached over to pick up that bandage, the lace of your sleeve caught on the clasp, became entangled, and that when you left the room, you carried the ladder of light with you. The great weight of the necklace swinging free as you ran down the staircase would naturally tell upon that weak link, and no doubt when you leaned over the banister at the landing to call Jennifer, that was, so to speak, the last straw. The weak link snapped, the necklace dropped away, and the thick carpet entirely muffled the sound of its fall. As for the rest, the loud jangling of the doorbell cut in upon his words. He pulled out his watch and looked at it. That will be the Rani's major domo, I fancy, Sir Mawson, he observed. And with your kind permission, Mr. Narkom and I will be going. We have, as I have already told you, a little matter of importance still to attend to in the interest of the yard. And although I haven't the slightest idea we shall be able to carry it to a satisfactory conclusion for a very long time, if ever, we had better be about it. Pardon? Reward, your ladyship. Oh, but I've had that. Sir Mawson has given me his promise to let that bonny boy have another chance. That was all I asked, remember. There's good stuff in him, but he stands at the crossroads and face to face with one of life's great crises. Now is the time when he needs a friend. Now is the time for his father to be a father, and opportunity counts for so much in the devil's gamble for souls. Get to him, Daddy, get to him and stand by him, and you'll have given me the finest reward in the world. And here, making his adieus to Lady Leake, whose wet eyes followed him with something of reverence in them, 
and shaking heartily the hand Sir Mawson held out, he linked arms with Narkom, and together they passed out, leaving a great peace and a great joy behind them. "'Glad, what an amazing beggar you are!' declared the superintendent, breaking silence suddenly as soon as they were at a safe distance from the house. "'You'll end your days in the workhouse, you know, if you continue this sort of tactics. Fancy chucking up a reward for the sake of a chap you never saw before, and who treated you like a mere nobody. Why, man alive, you could have had almost any reward, a thousand pounds if you'd asked it, for finding a priceless thing like that.' "'I fancy I've helped to find something that is more priceless still, my friend, and it's cheap at the price.' "'But a thousand pounds, Cleek, a thousand pounds! God's truth, man, think what you could do with all that money, think what you could buy.' "'To be sure, but think what you can't. Not one day of lost innocence, not one hour of spoilt youth.' It isn't because they have a natural tendency toward evil that all men go wrong. It is not what they possess, but what they lack that's at the bottom of the downfall of four-fifths of them. Given such ingredients as a young chap suffering under a sense of personal injury, a feeling that the world's against him, that he has neither a home nor a friend to stand by him in his hour of need, and the devil will whip up the mixture and manufacture a criminal in less than no time. It is easier to save him while he's worth the saving than it is to pull him up after he has gone down the line, Mr. Narkom. And if, by refusing to accept so many pound shillings and pence, a man can do the devil out of a favourable opportunity— Oh, well, let it go at that. Come on, please. We are still as far as ever from the game we set out to bag, my friend, and as this district seems to be as unpromising in that respect as all the others, where next? End of section 26